0: Glad you're here today. I'm grateful that uh, I get to stand before you and preach the Word of God to you. And we're in Ephesians chapter 5, so if you would, grab a Bible, head over to Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we'll get you started there in a minute there. Uh, Paul is, in this aspect here, he's still flash- fleshing out rather, uh, what it means to, to put off the old self and to put on the new self that we are in Christ. Uh, And today we're going to see exactly what that means in in this uh, almost bullet point-like list of things going on. It's kind of rapid fire, which is a little weird preaching because you kind of ADD, change direction constantly while working through a passage like this. Uh, It's a great passage. And uh, so, you know, our our prayer for you before the service and and my prayer for you here is just that... uh, When when you're here, you can be present. That you can put out the distractions. I know you have a thousand things to worry about, to wonder about, to-do list, things that you're worrying about. In that sense, that when we come to worship for the songs and the confession and and the affirmation of faith and the preaching of the word and the singing, that you just put that stuff out. It'll be there when you're done. uh, But but to just be present here in the worship of the Lord this morning. So uh, we're going to be reading Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. We'll read to the end of 21. Look look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ the grass withers the flower fades let us pray el alam we learn that Hebrew name to call you from your holy scriptures And it teaches us that you are the eternal God, the everlasting God. And so for you, Lord, time is an endless array in both directions. But for us, Lord, for us, time has a beginning. And time in this life is limited and taking away day by day. So teach us to make the best use of these days. Open our hearts this morning to hear your word. Open our hearts to believe your word. That we might rest in in all that you are for us. It's in the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And so Paul begins this passage here with this this warning about the way that we walk, the the way we go. Uh, He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You see, walking is this biblical image in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's this biblical image uh, of the life that we have, the, the way we live, the way we behave, the way we act. Uh, what your life looks like, uh, what it is. And, and this chapter began with this call for us uh, to imitate God. Not what we read, but back at the beginning of chapter 5, to imitate God. And we've already seen so far in verse 2 that he's telling us to walk in love. And then we saw in verse 8 that he's telling us to walk as, as light. And, and now we get the third way that we're to walk. We are, we are told here that as new creations in Christ, we are to walk not as unwise, but as wise. Um, And then he narrows the focus because that's kind of broad, right? Um, As to what he exactly means by this, he says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Uh, Someone once told me quite poetically that time is like the wind. It rushes over you, passes you, and no matter how hard you try, how much you want to, you can't hold on to it. You can't even slow it down. That phrase you see there, where we now see the, the best use of time, uh, it comes from this, this Greek word that means to, to redeem, right? To, to purchase. It's this idea of, you know, how are you going to spend your time? Or in the understanding of currency, money, what are you going to trade your time for? What experiences, what, what lessons, what, what things are you going to trade that for? And, and here's the, the thing, you know, um, you could give 100000 dollars to 10 different people, And they're all going to spend it completely different. Some of them are going to spend it more wise. Some of them are going to spend it less wise. Uh, And the same is true for time. The fact that God has given you this gift of life, this gift of time, is, is no guarantee that you're going to actually invest that time well. But Paul wants you to consider the way you're investing it. Paul wants you to think about this. What is the best way to spend those days? What is the best way to spend those years that you have been gifted? And it is an amazing, amazing gift. And we're going to deal with that in a moment. But first, I kind of want to deal with this. Not kind of, but I actually want to deal with this. Uh, the reason that he, he gives this, he says, because the days are evil, right? Sounds a little like like your grandma, right? You know, always the current generation's worse than the previous one. And, and really, that's why I appreciate that he's writing this 2,000 years ago. Um, because it's not just our era that's evil, but every era in the history uh, of the world can be called era. Uh, furthermore, he, you know the, the reason that the age is called evil is, is, is because in, in, in a sense, God has permitted Satan to, to move about right um, that 's still happening. Uh, the days are called evil because the, the hearts of men and the hearts of women are uh, depraved, unrestrained, prideful, uh, selfish. You know the, those are things that are still seeing in the world. The, the days are called evil because sin has so royally messed up the world that we live in that even natural disasters uh, bring pain and suffering and tears and, and death to this world that we inhabit. Um, this age is evil because the Lord has not yet returned in glory. No matter how long you live, until the Lord returns, the era you live in, the age you live in, will be evil. Uh, that's the world you live in. That's the world we live in. That's, you know, and so we got to ask this question, you know, how do we make the best use of time in that world, the world we actually live in. And, and the first thing I'd say is to actually develop a, a hunger to even desire to use our time wisely. I don't know that I always do. There is times when I think, what is the most worthless thing I can do right now just to veg out? But to have that hungry to, hunger to use it wisely, uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote these, this series of resolutions um, for his life. And I expect, you know, we read these and we're like, wow, he's amazing. Well, he wrote them down. I expect he probably struggled uh, to actually hit these targets. And, and yet there's something amazing that someone, even at a young age, these, this is where he was aiming. Uh, listen to this. I'll just give you two. Uh, number five, he says, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Number 17 on the list, he says, Resolve that I will live so I shall wish. I had done when I come to die." It's about these priorities. You know, these, these really lived priorities, not just stated priorities. You know, it's easy to state priorities. It's much difficult, more difficult to, to live with priorities. You know, I, how many of us would, would say something like, you know, priorities in my life are eating healthy uh, and exercising and spending time in prayer to the Lord. Those, those are priorities I can actually say are my priorities. Not in reality though. If you followed me around during the week, you'd find that I eat too much junk food, I exercise way too little, and and, and prayer is difficult to, to have on a regular basis. There's a, there's a struggle there. Um and, and here his his point is that you know we are we are learning to walk in wisdom, and it's meaning, meaning that that means we have actual convictions, okay? Convictions are, are a little more deeper, a little more solid than just this is what I believe, right? Um, you know, something you believe so strongly that it actually changes how you live. Uh, when we have convictions, we don't, we don't flippantly act contrary to those convictions, okay? Um, you know, on a on joking level, like I, I can't stand the Yankees. You're not going to see me like rooting for the Yankees, even in a joking manner. That's a conviction, a silly conviction, but a conviction. Um, and, and so then let's, let's consider here verse 16. It's a, uh, in a real and practical sense, that's what we really need to do here. You know, what are, what are ways that we squander? What are ways that we just fritter away uh, the minutes of our life? And, and I want to give you a few of these. One, sin. Absolute waste of our time. All sin. Pornography, gossip, stealing, jealousy, drunkenness, all sin. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Two, complaining or or just thinking about a problem or a a frustrating person over and over and over again. Uh, I think it was Henry Ford who said, uh, most people spend more time and energy going around the problem than they do actually trying to solve the problem. I think sometimes we waste a lot of time just let me think about this problem, how frustrated I am. Well, what should we do? Who cares? Let's just complain about it for a while. And, and it's a completely poor use of our time. Uh, three, consider the internet. Mindlessly scrolling through social media, uh, hours on, on blogs, uh, the endless you know, news coming one after another, Netflix binging, shopping on every online sign there is, or store, store there is. Um, and I'm not saying this. The internet can be good for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, But evaluate if your current use of the internet is good for you or not. And I I say that as someone who absolutely confesses uh, social media and the endless internet is a struggle for me. I will spend a few days away from it and I find it really nourishing. Um, And then for whatever reason I'll show back up and waste time just looking at news. Uh, You know, not sinful, just referring away the minutes. Uh, and, and here's the deal. We can make this, this list huge of things not to spend our time with that are wasteful, but uh, for the sake of spending time well in this sermon, knowing I've only got you for a little bit of time, uh, and really less time than I think, because you'll just zone me out at some point, uh, the best use of our time is to, to turn this about and think about uh, what are some actual good uses of our time. And, and when we think about this, I, I want us to be careful, because I don't want us to do that thing that, as Christians, we so often do, that... Um, um, that radical noble thing that uh, you know—that that only missions and evangelism and ministry are good uses of your time. That's it. Every second of the day, do that. And if you do anything else, you're wasting. It. What are you eating? Stop eating. We have ministry to do. You know. <laughs> These are good things, but you know, even good things can can you know done exclusively are, are not always the best things. You know, we're, we're so prone to think sometimes that reading the Gospel of John is a good use of time, and it is. But at the same time, thinking, John, you know, reading John Grisham is just a waste of time. And, and I, I want to keep you from the guilt of that, the imagined guilt you put on your shoulders when, when you enjoy things that, that way. Um, I, I quoted it a few times at this point that I read last summer, but uh, Joe Rigney, in his book, Things of Earth, he pointed out this. He said, Christians need to be reminded of the goodness of creation and God's approval of it for our joy. Otherwise, we believe the devil's lies and succumb to the low-grade guilt every time we encounter the things of earth. And then he he goes on to remind us that God made a world for his own glory in Christ, and then he fills it to the brim with pleasures. Physical pleasures, sensible pleasures, emotional pleasures, relational pleasures. And, and, And why did God make a world like this? Why did God make a world that is full of good friends and sizzling bacon and the laughter of children when it gets ridiculous, um, sunsets, and Dr. Pepper, and college football, and marital love, and, and just that wonderful feeling in the winter when you put on those warm socks. Why, why create a world like that? And, and the goodness of God is, is reflected in the creation of God. Don't forget that. Um, you know, so let's, let's consider uh, some wise or good uses of our time, uh, and it's a series of things. We're going to go through these pretty quick. Number one, alone time with God. Okay? That is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing, reading scripture and praying to your Heavenly Father. Uh, sometimes we do it because we feel guilty, but I'm telling you you, you, you spend a little time doing that. It is good for your soul. It is good for your nourishment. Uh, this is a wise conviction to have that you're going to spend that time. Two, uh, self-examination. How is your life going? Do you ever stop to even just consider that? You know, what are your priorities? What's, what's, what is good that is going on? You know, what's, what's an ongoing process? And it's going to be an ongoing process constantly as you come back to evaluate how am I spending my time? How should we be spending our time? If you're, if you're married, you're going to do it as a family, uh, at least as a couple. Uh, three, spending time with other people. Even introverts need this a little bit. But you do. You know, God made us to, to live in community, to function that way. Uh, you know, even, even Wilson was created uh, on the island because a man was lonely, right? Uh, we were made for community. Uh, four, serving others. There is a joy that we get from serving others that really can't be found anywhere else. I know that sounds weird, because a lot of times the last thing we want to do is go and serve someone. And yet, it's one of those things, I never want to go do it, uh, but afterwards you're like, that was so wonderful, why don't we do this more? Um, and it is. Uh, five, rest. Rest. Uh, Rest, the the way most of us live today, you'd think that we hate the idea that salvation is by grace alone, right? Uh, Because we've embraced this culture of um, justification by busyness. If you are busy, then your life is is justified, right? It all makes sense. That's what God wants of you. Um, You've got to find a way in your life to rest. And and that is very hard for people in, in this era. Uh, That that might mean actually scheduling. If you keep a calendar, just put like rest or nobody or whatever it's going to be. Put it on your calendar. Actually schedule it. Um, You've got to make sleep a priority. Do you know that when you don't sleep much, you're more likely to gain weight, to uh, suffer from depression and anxiety? Like this is all just from not sleeping much. Uh, Don Carson made a good point about sleep also. He said, "Uh, if you're among those who become nasty, cynical, or even full of doubt when you are missing your sleep... You are morally obligated to try to get more sleep. Morally obligated. And a bunch of you function that way. So, Christian, you you need to hear this. God made you in such a way that you absolutely need rest. To To not properly rest in your life is a rebellion against the Lord. I will not be finite. You know um, and, I, and I'd say this because, the reason I make a little bigger point here is that, what, you know, I think we find rest as one of the biggest wastes of time. Uh, and it's just not. It's part of God's good design for you. Uh, six, I guess you go go into Sabbath, but Tim's going to be talking about that at Paris parish group this week. Um, six, recreation. David Murray says, we need to ask ourselves what fills me up? Um, what gives you energy in this, you know? And that might be something like just, just coffee and reading a book. Uh, it, it might be, you know, watching baseball or, or music playing in your home. It, it might be a game of pickleball or jogging or sudoku and puzzles. It, uh, you know, it, it might just be talking to, you know, strange people in Rodinas. I don't know. Like, what, what fills you up, though, is this question. And, and, and you know, you got to be careful that we're not living for recreation. Uh, but at the same time, these are good gifts of God that he's given for us to enjoy. Uh, Seven, learn to discern when you should say no to something. You can't do everything. And some of you are so incredibly capable that we want you to do everything. Um, But you've got to discern at times when you should say no to something. Others of you need to learn how to say yes, right? Uh, because there is great joy in fellowshipping with people when you say yes to coffee. There is great joy in serving someone when you say yes to that. And discerning between these two, what this looks like in your life, can be difficult. And I'm saying you, you've got to do that. But don't just, uh, you know, don't just be <clears throat> uh, endlessly going. Like consider these things. What is this something I should spend my time on? Uh, and again, this list could be absolutely huge. But let me just end with this one. Eight. Uh, A whole list here that goes real quick. Uh, If you use your time, these are are good uses of your time. Feeding your family, that's a good use of your time. Raking leaves, cleaning the toilet, you know, uh, to do work at your job, to study for a test, to clean up the spilled juice. If you can do it without anger, that's even better. Uh, To stare out the window and just wonder at the creation of God. These are actually some good uses of your time. So I, I think if I were to give you one kind of homework assignment, I don't know if you can do that as a pastor, but um, you know, one thing is just that you go back this week at some point in your day, some point in your week, maybe today, and, and you just start thinking about what's the best use of our time. What, are, what am I doing? What are we doing that is good use? And, and what are things that we should probably just trim out of our life at this point? Um, build more margin into your life. Okay? Or your family's life, whatever it looks like. Paul is calling us to be intentional with our time. And too many of our lives are just spent in reactionary, you know, instead of purposeful ways of living. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we've got to live with, with purpose. Okay. It's kind of an off there. But back to verse 9 here. Um, we talked about discerning what is pleasing the Lord. And here we are called to understand what the will of the Lord is. This is not magic eight ball decision making kind of thing. Okay? Uh, too often, that's what we wanna make of this. That, you know, uh, it, it's not about what major you should have, it's not about you know, what your next career step should be in life, uh, but rather it's about applying what we know in Scripture, what we know to be true of God, to the actual life that we live, the way we walk, the way we behave, the way we think, the way we spend our time, things like that. So it's not, should I date this boy or that boy? Uh, it's, it's rather, what should characterize the relationship I have with this boy if I date him, okay? That's not me asking, just so you know. <clears throat> um, you know, what is my moral conviction on, on this subject, and is it, is it grounded in Scripture? In other words, uh, we don't do morality by consensus. But uh, instead, we, we, we look to the Word of God to understand the will of God, and, and that's what we apply to our life. Because, uh, you know, and I, I tell you this, Christian, you can stop stressing so much about this you know, difficult decision making, this, this fear of I'm going to make some terrible uh, decision. I don't know where to live or, or where I should minister or what job I should take after school or, you know, should I stay in the army, or get out of the army? Uh, things of that nature because there is this, this freedom in Christ. It's okay, you know. Don't fear so much about making the wrong decision in these courses. You know, if, if you're one of those people uh, that keeps asking this question, you know, what is, what is the will of God for my life? It's a good question, right? But, but we tend to think, like, what, what should I do? Should I be a famous singer or a famous football player? Uh, things of that nature. Probably not going to be either. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 really brings us back down to, like, let me redirect this question. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And you hear that, and you're like, ah, eh, it's a cop-out answer. You know, tell me about my amazing life. Um, because it's saying the will of the Lord is that you become more like Christ, Um, more aware of your own sin, more aware of of the holiness of God and and the grace of God that spreads the gap between his holiness and your unholiness. That's the will of the Lord for you. And, And if that sounds weird to you, just spend a little time thinking about that. Uh, It's freeing, it really is. Even if it's not the answer you want at first, it's really freeing to life. All right, let's consider verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a great verse for College Town, right? Um, It says wine. It means any alcohol, and and I'm just saying that because I can already hear the argument, well, I got drunk on vodka, (laughs) not wine. Okay, well done, Pharisee, well done. Uh, you know better than that. Uh, but it is. There's this simple moral aspect here. It's, it's quite simple. Uh, don't get drunk. It's not real hard to really work that through, huh? Uh, there are a few things to notice here. It's, it's not a call to teetotaling, which is just a weird old-fashioned word that means to abstain from all alcohol completely. You certainly have the freedom to go through your life and never have a sip of alcohol. That's your freedom. But uh, it's not required of the Lord that you do so. Soberness is required. Um, also, Romans 13 tells us or calls us to submit to the laws and the authorities of the land and in Kansas. If you were under 21, drinking alcohol is sin for you. Yes, even if everyone else around you is doing it. You see, uh, <clears throat> this, this being a college town, I had to explain to our, our kids about drunkenness. We would go down early on, a, you know, a fake, fake St. Paddy's Day. And we had to prepare them for what they might see. <clears throat> and uh, so they, you know, one of the ways we did this, we explained, and we we're like, when people drink, they are, uh, they often make poor choices while they're drunk. And so then, two years ago, our family was walking to eat lunch at the Varsity truck, uh, because you can get mac and cheese, grilled cheese in the middle of the day that day. Uh, and Lord had given all of us this bottle of water and, and told us to drink it with lunch. You know, you can drink it later with lunch. <clears throat> well, I drank my entire bottle on the two-minute walk to Varsity. And Berkeley looked at Laura and she said, Dad must be drunk. He is not making good choices. (laughs) She kind of mixed up the cause and the effect there. Um, But, you know, she comes to a good point. You know, alcohol does alter your mind, it alters your judgment. Many will tell you that uh, some of the worst decisions they've made in their life is while they were drunk foolishness and depravity of all sorts. But we can also, you know, wrongly turn to alcohol for, for comfort. And that's a good question, because that doesn't even require you getting drunk, right, uh, to turn to alcohol for comfort. You, you know, when you're anxious or, or stressed or frustrated or s- discouraged, when, when you fear being socially awkward, um, maybe you're just brokenhearted, you know, where, where do you go for that, where's your escape? And, and, and the call here is, Christian, you know, you don't turn to booze for that, that's, that's not the comfort that you're really seeking. And so then, you know, instead of being drunk with alcohol, we're, we're called to be filled with the Spirit, <clears throat> plain and simple. Paul's point here, though, is, is to motivate you and I, to, to the readers of this, this letter, uh, to motivate us in a pursuit of holiness. You see, if, if God's given you faith in Jesus, then you, you are you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You, you have the Holy Spirit. But that raises this question. If we already have the Holy Spirit, why is he saying to be filled with the Holy Spirit here? And he's not saying... Have the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, if the, if the Spirit is, is, is the driving influence in our lives, then, then we're filled with it. And, and then, you know, if that's true, what's going to flow out of us is, is exactly what we see in Galatians 5. You know, what's going to flow out of us when we're filled with the Spirit is, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Um, that's what's going to flow out of you if you're filled with the Spirit. And, and I think sometimes as Christians, we've got to remember this. We've just got to keep in mind that, that the Holy Spirit is not this, this theory, right? Um, the Holy Spirit is a, is a real divine person who is a spirit who can strengthen you in the battle against whatever it is that tempts you most. Not a theory, right? More than that. Uh, and, and so, Christian, the encouragement is that we be people who are so totally given over to the influence uh, of the Holy Spirit so that the effects of the Spirit in our life are, are so obvious as to the effects that you might see of, of too much wine in someone. Right? Um, I remember the first time we were here, we went down to Aggieville, uh, I think our first on a with John and, and Travis and I, and we went to... Uh, I don't know, it was a Friday night. Anyway, there were, there were drunk people around us. And just kind of like, you can see they're drunk. Anyone can watch their life and be like, they're totally drunk. He's falling. You know, he's, uh, you know, you can see that. And the same is true also, you know. You, you can see a spirit-filled woman by the way that she lives her way, life, the way that she walks through life. Okay, not in a split second in the way that you can someone drunk, but when you look at the way they walk through life, it becomes obvious. And, and I want to also mention here that being filled with the Spirit is, is written in this thing called the, the, the present imperative, meaning that uh, first, this is a command. It's not just something extra, you know. This is not, you know, a, an add-on to your Christian life. Uh, this is a call on your Christian life. And, and second, that uh, being a present imperative means that we're, we're to keep it being filled with the Spirit, not just once, But this is a way of life, constantly going back to this, okay? Being spirit-filled has less to do with spontaneity and and euphoric experiences or, or tongues, and it has more to do with living a life marked by the ordinary and glorious fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So from this point forward, Paul's going to point out these four things, that result by our being filled with the Spirit. First, in in verse 19, uh, we see that if we're filled with the Spirit, then songs of praise will pour out of us. And it it might sound odd, but we see here that we are to sing to each other about God, and we're also to sing directed to God praise as well. I don't know that we always realize the, the to each other part, you know? Uh, it's similar to the way your, your friend might compliment you to your face and say, um, you know, Sandy, you're an incredibly kind person. And that's a way of, of praising you. Uh, or, or they might, you know, say to somebody else about you, um, that Sandy is an incredibly nice person. Both of those are, are praises, right? Uh, it's the same way. It's the same in, in worship of our Lord, though, uh, of course, God always hears our worship, whether it's directed to him or whether we're singing to each other uh, about him. I don't know if you realize this. You know, you you look back at our first song today, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. um, That's directed to each other as we talk about how how great our God is. We're talking uh, about God to each other. The song we're going to sing after, this, Psalm 130, is going to be one where we, together with one voice, are praising to God, speaking directly to him. And and, and so we're going to see that. Uh, Now, you see these three terms here. Some insist that there is no difference between these three musical terms. Other tr- others try to define them in a very precise ways. Uh, the best argument I've heard is that the psalms, of course, refers to the Old Testament psalms. Uh, hymns are uh, written to God in any, any generation about God and to God. Spiritual songs, then, are believed to be uh, improvised songs that just spring up out of us. And so you've got these three categories. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. For the sake of, of time and the context of this p- specific passage, we're not gonna go into different styles of worship here this morning. Uh, rather, I wanna to keep to just the heart of what this passage is, is saying here, talking about. Um, <clears throat> as Christians, we are singing people. Uh, singing to God alone, singing about God to others, uh, singing to God together in, in corporate worship. Uh, because song is this this overflow of our hearts to the Lord. I also love that when you think about music, the, the whole gambit of, of our emotions are, are employed in the way that we, we praise the Lord. Uh, you know, you, you think about the, the anticipation we feel when we, when we sing, we will feast in the house of, of Zion or, or amazing grace. You know, there's this future eternal anticipation. Or the overflowing gratitude you you might feel at, you know, 10,000 reasons. Or the triumphant victory when we sing, Be Thou My Vision. Or the sorrowful hope that we feel when when we sing, and particularly know the story behind it, It is well with my soul. Or or just the confession that comes about, you know, the the, the tendency towards a wandering heart when we sing, Come Thou Fount. Or uh, the simple truth that children learn when they're singing something like, Jesus loves me. The covenantal reality of, you know, Father Abraham, even handles Messiah, um, it, it just gusts forth with this preeminent majesty of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, all these emotions, the Lord has given us many emotions and they all have a place in, in our worship of Lord, but, uh, the Lord both corporately and individually. You know, uh, songs are written out of the biblically-informed theology of our hearts, uh, particularly when you're talking about hymns. And and, um, songs also serve to write theology on the hearts of all who sing them. It goes both directions in that sense. And, And so pay attention to the words. And, you know, if they're scripturally sound, and I qualify that very intentionally, but they're scripturally sound, then by all means let your heart, you know, Set your heart free to just feel and and, and what's being expressed in this music. Uh, It's good. All right, then, I know these are choppy connections. Uh, Verse 20 informs us that being filled with the Spirit pours out of us as gratitude. Right? We've seen gratitude a lot. I'm shocked by how often the concept of gratitude shows up in Scripture. Here it says... Uh, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you might balk at the idea, especially if you're one of those contrarian types that looks for the exception of everything a teacher's ever said to you. Uh, But you might balk at the idea of giving thanks for everything. You know, should we give thanks for the shootings in Vegas? Are we to be thankful for the wildfires that are Destroying people's homes in California, thankful for the hurricanes in Houston and Puerto Rico, uh, thankful for the North Korean threats and the for the plagues of of cancer and heart disease that spread across the land. Are we to be thankful for the abusers of children and women? And I I think it's important to see what passages don't say sometimes. It doesn't say here that you can't be angry at injustice in the world. It it doesn't say you're not going to be fearful at international threats. That we ought not weep because of the disease and the death that comes upon those we we know and love. And yet at the same time, we can, you know, being filled with the Spirit, we can believe passages like Romans 8.28. Passages that say, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We, we can be thankful for that. Um, we can be thankful that, that we can see through suffering. And we can see through suffering to the hope of the gospel. We can be thankful that God can work good from all this evil we see in the world. We can be thankful that even though death is certain, God can work salvation in in the hearts of people. Even people who seem absolutely callous and rebellious to the Lord. We can be thankful for the healing that God can work in us even when we have been sinned against in, in unspeakable manners. You see, to the extent that that a tragedy and and suffering make us depend upon the Lord, to the extent that it it leads others to seek comfort in Christ and to find hope for the eternal treasure of the gospel, we we, we can give thanks even as we we feel the, the pain in these situations. Even as we brokenheartedly weep for the pain and the loss of ourselves and others. We can be thankful that God gives rest to the weary. Truly thankful. Uh, and how do we give thanks it says here in the in the name of the lord jesus christ i don't know if you notice but when christians pray they almost always at the end it seems like a tack-along thing but in the name of the lord jesus christ or in jesus name something of that nature I, you know in, in john fourteen six, jesus said i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me christian christian you can go to the father You can go to the creator of the world, your heavenly father, in the name of Jesus, with your head absolutely held up because of all that he's done for you. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace uh, to to help in time of need. You see, the bottom line is we all know to thank God for our food at meals. But but what about other places in our life, Uh, you know? Do you think you could expand upon that? Especially in the, the company of unbelievers. I, I know that I absolutely can. Uh, you know, Can you figure out how to, how to be thankful and also how to express thankfulness to God for a great book? or the, You know, when you're, you've got some place to go and suddenly the rain stops and you can make it there dry before you get there. You can, you know, can you walk in and praise the Lord for that? Can you be thankful for the Lord for the way some technology has made your life a little easier? You know, thankful for a good night's sleep or, uh, you know, thankful for the excitement of game two of the World Series or thankful that there's still a game five. Um, you know, we're, we're often looking for, for good apologetics. Uh, we're looking for good ways to defend our faith to people and good ways to commend our faith to people. And I, I can't tell you enough uh, what an amazing apologetic gratitude to the Lord is. It, it just is. Gratitude it commends the Lord for his goodness, uh, for his loving care of his people. Okay. Um, so I, I intended to unpack verse 21 today, and, and I found that it, it kind of was in the middle of this theological Venn diagram that could go either direction. I think it works better for next week, so we're going to start with it next week when we, when we deal with submission, which should be fun. Um, <clears throat> today, though, I just I just want to Watch the sunset on this passage with this, this quote from J.R. Tolkien from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, I love that book. Also, it's a movie, if you didn't know. <laughs> you see, the, the hobbit Frodo found himself in this difficult world with a difficult task. And, and this is the conversation that he has with Gandalf, who's the big wizard guy, and it's amazing. Um, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has been given us. See, some days the, the pool of gravity feels stronger than other days. Especially when the, when the path of our life turns, turns uphill. But, but that's the world we live in. That's, that's the life we have. And so we, we walk wise we walk wise while the sand remains and in, in the hourglass glass of our lives you see we we pursue holiness with hopefulness but, but we rest in the love of god for us as his his struggling children we shrug off on foolishness or foolishness and and we hold tightly to convictions that are in harmony with the will of our lord and so if we drink wine, it is for gladness and not drunkenness. And instead, we, we drink deeply at the well of God's word. We, we walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit who has filled us to the brim with hope, with grace, with forgiveness. And, and out of our lips flow you know, songs of hopes and, and, and melody of, of joy to the praise of, of God's glory. And so be filled with the Holy Spirit. We give thanks always and for everything to, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.